Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 26 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 2 Kings chapter 4. Today brings us to the end of 1 Kings and into 2 Kings, which continues the stories of both Judah and Israel, along with continuing the story of the prophet Elijah. We'll also meet the prophet Elisha along the way. Tragically, 2 Kings also records the downfall of both kingdoms, Israel and Judah. We begin with chapter 17, by the way, a chapter you should read. In chapter 17, we find prophet Elijah's showdown with King Ahab of Israel. And now I'm quoting, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, Elijah tells the rebellious king, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. God then sends the prophet to a brook in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, where he'll be fed by ravens and drink from the brook. Then the brook dries up. So God sends his prophet to Zarephath, where he meets a widow. The woman herself has nearly run out of food and is gathering sticks to bake one last meal before her and her son die of starvation. Elijah tells her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And that's exactly what happens. Sometime later, her son becomes gravely ill and dies. The woman becomes angry with the prophet, but he graciously takes the boy to the upper room of the house where he's been living. After an anguished prayer, Elijah stretches himself out on the boy three times, praying as well. And I quote, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the boy is resurrected. The mother's response, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now we're to chapter 18. And by the way, another chapter you should read the chapter begins with instructions to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Meanwhile, Obadiah, the palace administrator, and King Ahab search the land for water. Along the way, Obadiah runs into Elijah, and Elijah asks him to go tell his master, the king, to come and meet the prophet. The king and the prophet meet. The king asking Elijah, is that you, you troubler of Israel? The prophet retorts, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your family's fathers have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Then Elijah instructs the king to gather all the people on Mount Carmel for a showdown between himself and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 850 pagan prophets are assembled. Elijah challenges the people to choose and then instructs the pagan prophets to prepare and offer a bull as a sacrifice with one small caveat. They can't light the fire. Baal must do so miraculously. The desperate prophets dance and cut themselves for hours. Elijah taunting them periodically. Nothing happens. Calling the people close, Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord that had been torn down using 12 stones to represent the tribes of Israel. 
A trench is dug around the altar. The wood and sacrifice are placed on it, and then it's thoroughly drenched with water, assuring the people that Elijah is playing no tricks. God must light the fire himself. Then Elijah prays, and I quote, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. As his prayer concludes, fire flashes from the sky, burning everything up, including the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, and I'm quoting again, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! The pagan prophets are killed, and Ahab is warned to head home because rain is coming, and it does, torrents of it. So fast, in fact, that Elijah must guide Ahab's chariot through the storm back to the palace. In chapter 19, by the way, another chapter worth reading We find an angry Jezebel who, upon hearing that Elijah had killed her pagan prophets, vows to kill him. Elijah flees to the wilderness, hiding under a broom bush, and prays to die before falling asleep. Later, an angel awakes him to fresh-baked bread and a jar of water. After more rest and food, Elijah travels 40 days to Mount Horeb. Remember, this is just another name for Mount Sinai, which we've heard a lot about. Think Moses, Ten Commandments, etc. While on the mountain, God asks Elijah why he's there. And here's his reply. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's then instructed to stand on the mountain because God is about to pass by. There's a vicious wind, a crashing earthquake, and a fire. But God is not in any of them. Then Elijah hears a gentle whisper. At this, he pulls his cloak over his face and stands in the mouth of the cave. He and God have a conversation, and he's given another mission. Anoint Hazel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and Elisha as the next prophet. Then he's given this assurance, and I'm quoting, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah then finds Elisha and extends the call to prophetic ministry to him. Elisha follows. Chapter 20 tells us that Ben-Hadad, along with 32 kings, lay siege to Samaria, the capital of Israel, making outrageous demands of King Ahab. Ahab refuses the severest of these, so Ben-Hadad prepares to attack. God sends Ahab instructions for the battle through a prophet. Ahab follows the instructions, and the result is a devastating rout of the Aramean army. Following the victory, a prophet warns that Ben-Hadad will return. The next spring, the armies face off. Israel's forces dwarfed by those of the Arameans. In the ensuing battle, however, 100,000 Aramean soldiers are slain, and another 27,000 die when a city wall collapses on them. At the end of the day, in an an unfortunate twist, Ahab makes a peace treaty with Ben-Hadad. Shortly after, King Ahab is rebuked by a prophet for letting Ben-Hadad live. And I quote, You have set a man free I had determined should die. Therefore, it is your life for his life, your people for his people. Solon and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. 
Chapter 21 is the sad story of a spoiled King Ahab and his cunning queen, Jezebel. Upon finding her husband Solon, Jezebel asks why. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard. And by the way, I'm quoting now. Or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. The story that follows tells of Jezebel's sinister and successful plot to have Naboth killed so the king can take the vineyard. It works, unfortunately. And then Elijah confronts the foolish king. And I'm quoting, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Adding, dogs will devour Jezebel. When Ahab heard these words, still quoting, he tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Seeing this, God declares the curse would fall on Ahab's son instead. It's also worth noting that, and I'm quoting now, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Chapter 22, the final chapter of 1 Kings, finds Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joining forces with King Ahab of Israel to attack Ramoth-Gilead from Aram. Before going to war, Micaiah, a prophet, delivers a terrifying message to the two kings. And I'm quoting, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. In the following battle, King Ahab dresses in disguise while Jehoshaphat goes in his royal robes. This nearly costs Jehoshaphat his life until the enemy recognizes he is not King Ahab. But Ahab isn't safe yet. A randomly shot arrow strikes him and he orders his driver to get him out of the fighting. He dies that night and the army retreats. Ahaziah, his son, succeeds him as king. The chapter then briefly recounts the reign of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who reigns for 25 years. He dies, excuse me, he does what is right in God's eyes except for dealing with the sacrificial high places which remain in use. The king commissions a fleet of trading ships, but they are wrecked. The last note of the chapter tells of Ahaziah, son of Ahab, ruling in Israel for two years, doing evil. And that's the end of 1 Kings. 2 Kings essentially picks up right where 1 Kings ends with the reign of Ahaziah. It's in 2 Kings that we'll also read of the demise of both the kingdom of Israel and then that of Judah. Now we begin 2 Kings. By the way, the first chapter is worth reading. It tells the story of Elijah declaring that the injured, now convalescing King Ahaziah, will die of his injuries. And that's exactly what happens. And Joram, because he has no son, succeeds him. 2 Kings chapter 2 tells the story of Elijah being taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. I would recommend, by the way, that you read this second chapter of 2 Kings. Elijah and Elisha head for the Jordan. When they arrive, Elijah rolls his cloak and strikes the water. 
the Jordan parts, and the men walk through on dry ground. After crossing the river, Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and his request is granted so long as he stays by to witness Elijah's departure. As they're talking, and I'm quoting now, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. What a ride! Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak, which has fallen from him, and heads back to the Jordan, crossing the river just as he and Elijah had done previously. The story also tells of 50 prophets who search the land for Elijah, but cannot find him. Elisha finds himself in a city with a bad water supply and heals it with a bowl of salt. Elisha passes on from there to Bethel. Along the way, a rowdy bunch of boys make fun of him, and are mauled by two bears. Second Kings chapter 3 tells us that Moab revolts against Israel and that King Joram of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom join forces to attack Moab. Elisha the prophet tells the king what to expect in the coming battle and does so only because Elisha still has respect for Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Excuse me, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Water will miraculously fill the valley, the prophet declares, where the kings now stand, and that the attack on the Moabites will be successful. When the Moabites saw the water in the valley the next day, they assumed it was blood and fled. The armies of Israel had total victory, except for the town of Kerhereseth, where the Moabite king holed up. When he could not escape, he sacrificed his son on the wall. You heard that right. The king of the Moabites sacrificed his son on the wall. Outraged, the Israelite forces returned to their own land. 2 Kings chapter 4, by the way, read that chapter as well. It's our final one for today. tells four incredible stories. The first about a widow and her oil. The second about the resurrection of a woman's son. The third about some poison stew. And the fourth about a miraculous meal. I'll give you the basics of the first two stories, but you'll have to read the next two stories or listen to them yourself. The chapter begins with a widow finding herself in debt after her husband's death. She asks the prophet for help. She tells Elisha that she has a bit of olive oil. Elisha instructs her to collect all the jars she can, from the neighbors, by the way, and then fill them with the oil in the jar which will keep flowing until the last jar is filled. Her and her sons do so. And then I quote, She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. She does so, and there's plenty of money from this miraculous flow of oil that fills all these jars for her to pay the debt and her and her sons to have money left over to live on. The next story tells of Elisha and his servant being befriended by a woman of Shunem. Eventually, her and her husband build a rooftop room for the prophet and his servant. In gratitude, Elisha prophesies that she will have a son. She does. A few years later, as the boy is working in the fields, he becomes ill and later dies. The heartbroken woman goes to find the prophet. While the prophet Excuse me, excuse me. While the woman and the prophet return to her home, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, runs ahead, laying Elisha's staff on the boy's face. Nothing happens. 
And now I'm quoting the story. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hand to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. An overjoyed mother receives her son alive. And that is all for today.